and welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. Today I'm somewhere very special, wild, beautiful and remote. A real haven of peace and tranquility and I've been on quite a journey to get here. I've got wellies on and I've just paddled, or actually the truth is, been paddled, 20 minutes of Clachan Sound in a canoe to a secluded hut on the remote Isle of Seal off the coast of Argyll in the Outer Hebrides, with the man putting this stunning part of Scotland on the international map. Cunioch MacLeod, or the Hebridean baker as he's known to millions of fans on TikTok, is taking the culinary world by storm, showcasing the delights he first watched his Aunt Belag bake when he was a little boy. The fisherman's son from a tiny village on the Isle of Lewis has become an unexpected social media sensation, with more than 10 million views during lockdown. His short films featuring his Westie Shoras, showing him baking mouth-watering Scottish fare, interspersed with simple lessons in Gaelic, and breathtaking snippets of life in the most amazing scenery. Matan tha, Cunioch. Matan tha, Helen. How are you? Oh, how did I do with that? You did pretty well. I can tell you've been to the Hebrides before. Well, I've been <laughs> practising on an internet video. <laughs> and I was trying to practise quietly on the canoe. I mean, what a commute we've just had. Will you describe it for us? I think the most special thing from us is just the contrast of, of leaving the mainland and getting in a wee canoe that we hide under the bridge. We're like trolls hiding <laughs> our things under the bridge and then just setting off and knowing that we're going to the most idyllic wee, wee spot in the world. And you're seeing wildlife and beautiful birds going past us and ah, we're so lucky. It's just breathtaking the whole scenery blows my mind up here it's just so gorgeous will you describe what it was like when we were canoeing up the clacken sound and the kind of views that we could see and all the slate around us too yeah so the isle of seal is part of the slate islands as they were called and probably every house in Scotland and some of America has got slate uh, from 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 this little quarry here that we're, we've got a wee house in. But as we were canoeing up, we were seeing the islands of Mull and Kerara and even Kerara Lighthouse we could see in front of us. So to be able to see so many of the Hebridean islands, each one so different as well. Oh, we're so lucky, yeah. Are you sure that you want the rest of the world to know <laughs> about this amazing place? I was trying to book the ferry back to Lewis for the summer and it's already really busy and people were were blaming me. I think I'm slightly to blame for this influx of, of visitors, but we can't wait. We're so proud of our islands. We can't, can't wait for people to see them. The thing that strikes me, having been once before to the Isle of Lewis, where you're from, and also to Harris, is that no two days the same, no two seasons the same, but no two hours the same. The colours are spectacular and they they change hour by hour don't they they do they say on the island if you if you don't like the weather in the hebrides just wait about 20 minutes because <laughs> you're going to get another type of weather and in, in, a, in a wee while um but you are right our seasons our seasons are a wee bit different in time into maybe the rest of the the British Isles. Our winter obviously lasts a, a bit longer. Our spring is more kind of end of April, May time. But I think spring 
has to be my favourite time of year on the island because we've come out of quite a dark winter. At the end of December, we're maybe only getting maybe three, four hours of daylight uh, at that time of year. But as the clocks change at the end of March and suddenly the, the days start to, to get longer, ah, it's so exciting knowing you've got those few months ahead of you. So tell me the story. You come from a tiny village, more or less, in the middle of nowhere, with about 30 or so residents. How on earth did you become an internet sensation as the Hebridean <laughs> baker? Where did that come from? I still pinch myself every day Gee. that this has happened. But yeah, I'm from a wee village called Cromoar. Uh, Cromoar is the old Gaelic for big cow. The next village is Krobik, which is the old Gaelic for little cow. <laughs> so <laughs> How even, did I guess, eh? <laughs> so even growing up, I was very proud of being from the bigger of the two cows. But to be honest with you, I was sitting a couple of years ago with my, my Aunt Belak, who, as you said, uh, taught me to bake when I was growing up. And she was just telling some stories, some stories about the, the villages, about my family, and stories about some of the bakes as well that she does. And I thought to myself, I want everybody to know about this. I really want people to know. And so from that, I thought, you know what? I'll just start making wee videos of me baking, but telling stories while I'm doing that. And slowly but surely, people started to enjoy them. And then more and more people came to, to watch them. And I think as of yesterday, I think 17 and a half million people have watched the, <laughs> the, watched the videos. On TikTok. On TikTok, yeah. And, and since then, so many wonderful experiences have come my way from my cookbook coming out and being with Holly and Phil on this morning and Kirsty Alsop on her Christmas show. Amazing, fun things that... And at the centre of it all, Helen, is that I'm able to promote and talk about the Hebrides, our culture, our identity, our language, and the fact that we are part of Scotland, we are part of Britain, but we are a wee bit different. And I really enjoy celebrating that. So your videos really are a taste of you cooking absolutely delicious bakes. I'm looking at the most extraordinary looking <laughs> carrot cake. It's, this is the moment when you realise it's a shame it's not television, but there will be a photograph of this cake. And you've mixed it with talking a bit about Gaelic. That's how you pronounce it in Scotland, isn't it? Gaelic. And the stories behind that ancient language. But also showcasing the scenery. When I saw you on Holly and Phil, I think you were making Aunt Belag's Duff, which we'll also <laughs> come on to in a minute. But you were cooking on the beach on an open fire. Yes. I think just allowing others to see and to experience what is normal for us every day. And I think the thing that I'm most happy about is I haven't changed any of our lifestyle to make the videos or I haven't changed anything we do. Luckily, my partner, Peter, loves eating cake. So the fact that I make cakes every day is completely normal, you know? And the fact that we're out in a canoe with shores or, or swimming or climbing a mountain, that's just, that's just us. That's what we love doing. And the fact that folk have enjoyed watching 
us just have our normal lives has been fantastic. It's been absolutely amazing, I think, for you. You wrote a lovely piece. I think your writing's really beautiful and very eloquent. And you wrote a great descriptive piece in Reader's Digest. And you were describing your memories of being a little boy, watching Aunt Bellag, of pulling out packets of suet and flour and fruit. Just give us a sense of what you remember from when you were little, of her cooking up some delicious Scottish fare. Yeah. On the islands, you couldn't pop to the shop for a treat. (laughs) (laughs) The nearest shop was in Stornoway, which, because of our roads at the time, was you know, about an hour and a half journey away. So it going to Stornoway even was a bit of an adventure. It was like going to Las Vegas for us when we were growing up, uh, never mind getting to the mainland. And so if we wanted a treat or something special, well, you had to bake it or, 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 or make it yourselves. And my Aunt Bella, it's my dad's sister, and she... It's just a wonderful baker. My mum was a great baker too, but I used to sneak over to the next village quite a lot (laughs) to see my aunt bake as well. And very traditional recipes. Always using a griddle for her pancakes and scones. But probably the most traditional or well-known bake on our islands is called a duff. And on the mainland, they call it clouty dumpling. So that's, it's a boiled fruit cake, which doesn't make it sound that fancy. And it's not fancy. We don't, it's not fancy dishes, but it is delicious. And my aunt's is just the best on the island. To the point my brother had it as his wedding cake <laughs> on his wedding day. She always had a secret ingredient that she never told anybody. And she was telling me that she'd been making it the same way for 80 years. She's 93 now, and her husband's 94. If I'm that sprightly at 53, never mind 93, um, laughs and bakes every day. Her husband, Mordo, still out fishing, has his own garden. Inspiring, really inspiring. And she's in the book, isn't she? There's a beautiful photograph in the book. How does she feel about, well, seeing herself in your cookery book, but this wee lad who's grown into quite a strapping man now at six foot three, six foot four, I'm guessing, something like that. How does she feel about the fact that you're on national television, you've got a gorgeous cookery book out? It just makes her laugh. I think she, just, laugh. she just laughs all the time. I think one of my favourite things that happened actually was I, I got a letter that just was written. The address was Hebridean Baker. Isle of Lewis, Scotland. That was from me. <laughs> that was it from you. <laughs> and it arrived at my house on Lewis. And I opened it and there was just another envelope inside. And it just said, to Aunt Bellac. And one of my followers had loved seeing Aunt Bellac in the videos and she appeared when we were on the BBC travel show with Adia Dipitan. We visited her that day and she just wanted to write to her and say that she had just retired recently and she was unsure of what her life would be like and seeing somebody at that age still enjoying life so much and baking just inspired her so much. And I think that was the moment my aunt realised that unintentionally she had inspired folk through making these recipes and being in the book, which for me was when she, I hadn't opened the envelope. So when she read the the, the letter to me, 
Ah, I felt inspired. Oh, things like that are so heartwarming, aren't they? And what is it, what's the pleasure that you get out of baking and making these beautiful dishes that you put together so effortlessly? (laughs) Well, I think one thing is I love recipes with stories. And so I'd say my favourite thing to do when sitting here where we are at our, uh, at our table would be to sit here with lots of old, old books, sometimes not recipe books, just old Scottish books that might have a few wee stories about, about recipes in them. And so there's one I was reading recently. It is called uh, A Scots Flummery. And even just the name, I was like, <laughs> I have to make Brilliant. A Scots, a Scots Flummery. <laughs> and seemingly, Flora MacDonald was halfway through A Scots Flummery when she was arrested for helping Bonnie Prince Charlie, you know, after the Battle of Culloden. And I was thinking to myself, what? Because I've made it and it's delicious. And I thought, if you're on your way to prison, that's not a bad dessert to have as your last supper. Uh, so so I, love, I love finding old traditional recipes, but then also taking more classic dishes and looking at the beautiful flavours we have, not just in the Hebrides, but in Scotland as a whole, and just adding a wee twist to some of those recipes and making them Scottish. So what is a flummery? What does that taste like? A flummery is sort of everything you would want from a Scottish dessert. You soak the oats in water for two days. You've got to plan ahead for us. Okay, you, can, okay. you, can't just think, you can't just think, do you know what? I'm having a Scots flummery. You have to do a wee bit of planning. Do you planning. get in a flummery when you make it? <laughs> I would be in a flummery, wouldn't I? Because I wouldn't have put the forward planning in. Exactly. So you're soaking your oats for a couple of days to get that kind of starchy water. And then you mix in the beautiful flavours of, of course, whiskey and cream. And you just get this light, kind of kind of syllabub, and you put orange zest through it as well. It's oh, it's delicious. My mouth's watering already. <laughs> I love the stories. I love the folklore. And earlier today, when we were getting into the canoe, actually, you did make me laugh because we were getting into the canoe, and you said we might get a little bit stuck, so we might have to get out and push at some point. And I could see the cold, icy waters of the Clachan. I was like, "Oh, this will be interesting." We did pretty well, though. We, did we managed because well, we didn't we didn't tip up, did we? We didn't and tip. We up. didn't have to have a paddle, <laughs> although you'd already been for a swim before I arrived this yeah, morning. I'm glad. A, it's a good way to wake up. I know. I'm just half wondering whether you're going to throw me in there at the end of this. And actually, we're so warm sitting in your beautiful little hut with the agar on. I've got so many layers on because I thought I was going to be freezing and my cheeks are burning. But as we got to, I'm going to see if I can remember this, the Tayantrush. 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 Okay. That's something to do with trousers and kilts, isn't it? Tell us that wee story. There is a story. I'm not sure how true it is. (laughs) but That doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter, does it? Uh So... There was a time when kilt wearing on the mainland of Scotland was banned. I won't say he was to blame for no, that. No, you're not uh, looking Helen. my way, I hope. <laughs> I like a kilt. <laughs> so the story goes that where the, the pub is now, the Tay, which is the Gaelic for a house, uh, the House of Trousers, was where the men used to take their kilts off and change into their trousers before they moved. They went over Clachan Bridge onto the mainland. So I don't know how true that story is, but I kind of like it. I like it. What about the phrase, Donald, where's your trousers? <laughs> Do you think that comes from those days? I think maybe? it might be, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> this is my second time, as we talked about, when we just went on a little mini hike around your gorgeous hut in the Outer Hebrides. I went to the Isle of Lewis, where you're from, and also to Harris last year. And 
and kind of really, if I'm honest, absolutely fell in love with its rugged beauty and the white beaches and the turquoise waters that look like the Caribbean, but definitely there's a nip on your toes. I did go for a paddle. And the wildlife and incredible food. I can see why you're so proud of where you come from. But the one thing that I didn't really realise, I think, is that you've got the wild Atlantic larder in terms of incredible distilleries, amazing seafood, brilliant natural ingredients. It's so much more than just what you see with your eyes, isn't it? It's a real taste treat. You're absolutely right. And I think there's maybe something that we talk about now where it's always been there. It's been normal for us to have salmon and beautiful prawns and venison and great lamb. We've never had to think about it. Anything that we grow or catch is for the family. We never thought about selling it or promoting it before. But now I see folk on the islands, we're sort of creating maybe a more modern Hebrides, where we are proud of our islands more. Before, I think, we kind of hid it away. We People didn't know about us. And we were seen as a wee bit backward. Even I remember moving to the mainland the first time, and my accent is a wee bit different <laughs> to the rest of Scotland and certainly Glasgow. And there's always a part of a country where the accent is seen as a wee bit country bumpkin, you know? And the Hebrides were, was seen that way, as if we were a wee bit backward or uh, slow. But I think now the islands and the people are being celebrated, and I'm so proud of that. And you're right that the produce of the islands is very much part of that. And we've got now beautiful restaurants that are promoting our produce, and that feels very very special and I'm, I'm pleased to be part of that. I think as well something that we're probably all discovering a lot more particularly over the last couple of years that everybody's been through is the importance of being out in nature, being at one with nature, how it makes you feel when you're out in the fresh air looking at bird life and trees and beautiful water and I guess just naturally and organically from when you grew up you've lived at one with nature and perhaps where I live in a city in the heart of Shepherd's Bush, which I love, we don't get that on a daily basis. And I think people are yearning for that more. And I think that's part of it too. I think we need to get out and experience that beautiful fresh air and, and wildness. I think you're right, Helen. And I think maybe that is a part of why the Hebridean Baker story has resonated with, with a lot of people, is they've looked at our lives, and it is just our lives, just simply doing the things we enjoy doing. And unintentionally, it's become aspirational for, for folk to, to think, right, get up in the morning, run down to the shoreline, go for a swim, run back, chop the wood for the aga, and that's the start of just a normal day, going for a walk with a dog in the hills. And so as I said, unintentionally, I think the Hebridean lifestyle has, has become aspirational for a lot of folks, and we're very proud of that. And sustainable as well. When we've looked around the hut today, you've got solar panels, you have a, the most amazing wooden little hot tub that you have a fire to heat the water for. Everything feels sustainable. You're using what the land offers and not taking anything away. Absolutely. And we're, more, we're much more aware of that now, aren't we? I think we are, and it's something that you 
you, you need to make yourself more conscious of when you're not familiar with your land. But it's something that, as you say, we've grown up with, that you can't just run to the shops for a quick extra piece of clothing or food or, 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 or something and, and making do. And I know that even if we were here not being able to go to a shop for five days, I know I can make something out of that cupboard. I'll find something in that cupboard and I'll make a great meal out of it, no problem. If I was going to be stuck in a hut with anybody for five <laughs> days and needed a meal, I think I'm absolutely <laughs> in the right place. I'm thinking later of the lasagna that you've, you've made, which is going to be fantastic. But you have, there you are, a boy growing up in a very small place, in a very quiet place, but you've lived in London. And reading in the book, because I, I feel like I'm a massive advert for your book, but I loved all the stories. And I lo- loved your story that when you were living in London, if you were aching for a bit of the Outer Hebrides, you'd go to the British Museum, which I think I'm a bit of a geek, actually, because it's one of my favourite places favorite, in the world. Yeah. And viewing what you viewed in the British Museum, that's one of my favourite exhibits. Tell us more. Well, I just say I I lived in London and there was many times where I wanted to maybe speak Gaelic to somebody or or hear somebody talking about my islands. And we're so lucky that we have the Lewis Chessmen and they can be seen at the British Museum. And the Lewis Chessmen are a set of carved ivory pieces and they were found on a beach on the west coast by a man who was walking his cows along the beach one day. As you do. As you do. I'm from Cleethorpes. We don't walk cows there. We walk <laughs> do donkeys. Not? No, we walk donkeys, but not cows. And he thought, oh, they're nice. They were in a box. And they're so in a box? They were in a, in wow. a box. And he displayed them in his cow shed for a few years. And then he sold them for £30. And they were sold eventually to the British Museum, probably for a wee bit more. I know one of them was recently sold. One of the pieces was sold for a million dollars recently. That was found in a drawer. But basically, they were a Viking hoard, a Viking treasure, because the Hebrides were part of the Viking kingdom of man for 400 years. And a real stopping off point. There's some amazing stories If you look at the DNA of Icelandic women, it is the identical DNA of Hebridean women because Iceland was simply populated by Viking men who were heading down to the Hebrides, picked up some good-looking women and headed over to Iceland. So this farmer found the the chess pieces and eventually realised the uniqueness of them. And so I used to just go and stand there and hear people talking about... uh, saying things like, oh, but the the Hebrides, they don't really exist, or thinking they were part of Game of Thrones. Or I remember one man telling me that him and his, his jazz band went there to play in Stornoway in the 1960s and what an experience was. So just standing by the chessmen at the British Museum, I heard the best best stories. And did you enjoy the hustle and bustle and the craziness and of London or did you find it a big dirty noisy city <laughs> like my young son does? <laughs> well I'm a great believer in contrast in life. I really do believe that, that it's really good for you to, to have different experiences in life. Peter, my partner, said well, actually very early on when we met told me an amazing thing that I absolutely believe. He said, your, your job in life or your goal in life shouldn't be to be happy every day because you're going to be disappointed sometimes because life 
it does you know you can't be happy every day but he said but if you can be fulfilled every day then that will make you happy. If at the end of each day you've done something, a wee adventure, or baked something new, or, or planned a trip, or something that you've done that fulfills you. And I really believe that now, that that's, that's my, my goal in life. And a bit like my Aunt Bellac at 93, still thinking, you know, I'm going to go to church, or I'm going to, you know, bake something today, or see what my husband Mordo's growing in the garden. What a fulfilling life, and that's, that's my goal. I agree with you there. My little moment every day is sitting outside my favourite little coffee shop. And I mean come rain or shine, there's a little shelter. So even when it's absolutely pouring with rain, they think I'm crazy because I sit outside with my little paper cup and my diary and my notebook and plan my day. And that's my little moment every day that I really enjoy. And I would imagine living somewhere like this and in Lewis every day, whether it be the swim that you have or the walk on the beach with your dog or popping something in the oven that's a very nice way to think of life and you talk about wee adventures but when you were a wee lad you had lots of wee adventures and you had definitely an incredible imagination tell me about going off and in your little boat in search of Viking treasure <laughs> well in the village of Cremor we have a broch a broch is, it's basically like a lookout point for the Vikings, because you can imagine how, how scary it would be if you were just potted in around in the 12th century, you know, looking after your potatoes and your, and your one cow, and then suddenly over the hill comes 300 Vikings, not looking that friendly. Actually, it sort of comes from, I'm sure you, you know the, the, the concept of first footing. So one of the Scottish traditions at Hogmanay at New Year is a, it's good luck if a tall, dark, handsome man comes to your door after midnight uh, with a bottle of whiskey. I mean, I think that's good luck at any night of the year. Well, I don't I think, think you have to. I think my luck was totally in if that happened to me. That's never happened, sadly. <laughs> There's still time, though. There's eh? still time. But they intentionally say tall, dark haired man because if a tall, blonde haired man knocked on your door, it's probably not good news because he's probably going to be doing some pillaging and marauding. But I would, I had a wee rowing boat when I was a kid and I would row out to the, uh, out to the broch and always convinced I was going to find some treasure or something that the Vikings had left behind. Usually I'd just come home with some wild brambles, some blackberries uh, to make a cake with my mum, but uh, I always hoped I would find something. But yeah, great adventures growing up. Some, some intentional, some... You know, sometimes the Queen would come past and, and make some stories too. <laughs> but you might have to read the book to, to find out that, the sto that story. Oh, I've still got that one to look forward to. And you call yourself a bit of a, a bearded Viking baker. I'm going to get that all wrong. Come on, you tell me what you call yourself. What was it again? The beardy... The beardy baking... The beardy baking Viking. Viking from That's the right, Hebrides. isn't it? From the Hebrides. Do you know what it came from, actually? I was... Again, so many fun things have happened, but I was doing a Serbian travel show a few months back, and luckily they, they sent it to me with subtitles when it was on Serbian television. And when they said who they were visiting, they called me the, the most Scottish Scotsman in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, when I told the stories about the Vikings, you know, that's where that came from as well. So I... I think I'm happy with those wee uh, titles. I think so. What's been the most exciting part of this kind of unintentional newfound fame? Which shows have you enjoyed doing most? <laughs> well, I, I think that the first thing is because it happened during a time when we were 
not seeing many folk. We were we were in lockdown, and yes, I could see my videos getting all these millions of views and folk saying all the nice things. But it wasn't really until I started being able to to leave my home and and walk around the towns, and people would say. You're the Hebridean baker. My, you know, I love what you do, and I, I don't know why, but hearing a real person say it was quite different to seeing it online. So I think the first thing was just experiencing that people so enjoyed the the, the videos that I was making. But you're right. I, I think spending an afternoon with Kirsty Allsop was quite good fun. <laughs> what did you do with her? I didn't see you on Kirsty's show. So it was her Christmas show. And so we were making some festive, festive treats. And we had a challenge where we were making my Hebridean Hogmanay cocktail. Now, I love a smooth whiskey. So I like a, like a Jura whiskey or a Highland Park, where Kirsty loves a peaty whiskey. And Helen, I know you quite like a peaty whiskey too. I like too. a peaty. I like uh, Bunnahabin, I like. So I think she was on the Bunnahabin. She was making a cocktail with Bunnahabin. I was making a cocktail with Jura. And we were testing which one was the best. And in the end, she even admitted herself she liked mine the Did best. She? And we had a great afternoon. So what an experience to, to, to meet characters like that. And one thing I would say, which is coming up in a few weeks, which another pinch me moment is uh, the book's just about to be released in America. And I'm off for book tour of America from Boston to Chicago to Dallas to LA to Seattle. And from a, a, a wee boy in the Edra Hebrides to think this has happened, I'm really excited. You are the most amazing advert for it. And the book is a real treat. And I don't say this lightly, it's sitting on my coffee table and I keep dipping back in because you are a magnificent storyteller as well. So it's it's far more than a cookery book. And I think in on the front, you actually say it's some wee stories from the Highlands or wee tales from the Highlands. So I love all of that too. But I also like the simplicity of what you cook. What I get frustrated about sometimes when I decide I'm going to have a baking day is you need 25 ingredients and you haven't got everything, but you don't use that many ingredients. And I love the fact you've got the twist of things like you, you're partial to a, a wee dram of whiskey and you're cooking, aren't you? And there is always a wee twist, for sure. And whiskey tends to be a twist quite often. But looking at what is maybe traditional Scottish ingredients, like our wonderful oats, our whiskey, our marmalades and all those things, and our berries, as I said, brambles, when we were coming on our canoe, uh, I was showing you the gorsh uh, bushes that we make pina coladas out of, <laughs> out of the flowers. So we always, in the book, try and make it simple recipes, simple ingredients, and something that you would just want to make when your auntie or your best pal was coming round for, for the afternoon. And again, one of the big things, when I started on TikTok, which is a great fun platform, but a lot of the other bakers were trying to make the biggest cake or the most tears. And I would go, wow, that's amazing and what a skill. But I thought, I'm never going to make that. There's only two of us and Shoris, the dog. We can't eat that much cake. So intentionally, I make wee bakes that is enough for two or three people. And I got a lot of kind of positive feedback about that, that it was, it was nice that 
you can make a, a new cake every day. You see, you're so trendy because I've never been on TikTok. Do you edit the little videos and then put them up? Is that how it works? Yeah, it is. I was really inspired by the creativity. Once you get past the lip syncing and dancing, it's the most educational platform. My catnip is Midwestern American women who upcycle furniture. That's why <laughs> I could spend my whole afternoon watching these videos. But there's people that are just so skilled and ins- inspiring in what they do. And it just inspired me to do something similar. And I'm so humbled that it's resonated with so many people. It has. And this isn't your day job, is it? No, it, it isn't. But I'm so lucky. I can love both. I know a lot of people maybe aspire to do something a wee bit different because they've got the drudgery of nine to five in an office. But I'm lucky that I love my work, but my passion of promoting the islands and talk, I mean, what a dream, dream, I won't call it a job because that makes it sound like it's hard work. You're pleased that it isn't a job really, because maybe that would take away some of the pleasure of what you're doing. Yeah, the, the fact that a few weeks ago, the Outer Hebrides Tourist Board got in touch to say what I do. They the, did <laughs> <laughs> to say would I do the voiceovers of their new campaigns, and I was like, amazing. And so when I'm when I'm watching TV or something, and suddenly I'm like, oh, that's my voice <laughs> on that video on that advert. It just makes me smile. So the fact that I've been able to to see yes to so many fun things, and again going back to the story of being fulfilled every day. Now, what's the word you use that in Sweden there's a word, huga, but you have your own word for that feeling of slowing down and satisfaction with every day, beginning with a B, I seem to remember. Beginning with a B. Yeah, I was doing an interview with uh, Danish radio and we were talking about huga and they just, they said, is there a Gaelic version for the word? And I said, well, the closest word we would use is blas. And blas is the Gaelic word for warmth and contentment. And there's a beautiful saying in Gaelic, Beri blas er luas. And it sort of means there's a time for everything. Just slow down, enjoy what you do. And as we're doing right now, sit with a kappa, look out the window and enjoy the, enjoy the Hebrides. The Gaelic is beautiful. Just try and teach me to say that. So, Berry Blas. Berry Blas. Er Luas. Er Luas. Berry Blas Er Luas. I love that. Do you think it's time to get a knife out <laughs> and cut a little I, cake? We've both been looking at this cake the whole last 40 minutes. We have, haven't we? Just describe it for me and what have you, what have you made it with? Well, we still had some winter carrots in our wee plot there, so I needed to use them. So it's quite a classic carrot cake, but I always like to say it's a Hebridean carrot cake because of where the carrots came from. But I love cardamom. I really do look north to Scandinavia for a lot of flavours as well, and cardamom come up, comes up a lot in Scandinavian recipes. So it's a carrot and cardamom cake, and it's got pistachios and a lovely frosting on top. Because it's so warm in here, it's kind of now kind of lovingly kind of 
drooling over the side of the cake and it's making me it's making it even more tempting i know but we're nearly at the end now just actually you mentioned scandinavia there you did old icelandic studies at university didn't i you? did i've got to be honest with you helen not the handiest of degrees i'm not going to i'm not going to lie it's, it wasn't the handiest of degrees i haven't used it too much since but again it just felt right to do it knowing that many of my ancestors moved to the island of Iceland. I just wanted to learn more about it. My name, Kanyoch, and this is a good reason for it to be a podcast because I won't know if you're laughing or not, but Kanyoch is the old Gaelic for handsome. Is okay. it? <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> And I'm sure I probably did peak when I was like one or two days old. You know, my mother must have gone, oh, he's definitely a Kanyoch. It's kind of gone downhill since then. And the surname, Mac many of your listeners will know is the, is the Gaelic for son. And Ljot or Ljotar was the last king of man, so the Nordic kingdom, when the Hebrides were part of Norway. But Ljotar is also the old Norse word for ugly father. Oh. And so technically my name means handsome son of the ugly father. <laughs> now, my father wasn't the boss man. And he was only five foot seven. I luckily got all my height from my mother. But it's a wee bit harsh to call him the ugly father. That but. is a wee bit harsh, isn't it? And just finally, are we allowed to know what your day job is? Because it's quite fascinating, isn't it? You've just come back from Africa. Yeah. So I, I'm so lucky that I have really nearly my dream job as well, where I grew up loving sport and always thinking I was going to be a great footballer. I think my my football career peaked at 12 and I didn't really go much further than that. But what I do now is I work in developing countries, mostly in Africa, and I help them put structure and professionalise the sport and, and work with the governments there to show how football can work in societal cohesion. So when there was the troubles in Mozambique a few months ago, we went there and worked together with the communities and show that football can make a difference because when you're on the pitch together, it doesn't matter where, what race, what color, what sexuality, whatever you have, you're, you're just gonna be playing together. And it's so rewarding to do that. And again, going back to contrast, knowing that I'm maybe in a, a wee town in Mozambique one week, then back climbing the hills of the Hebrides the next is pretty special. Do you know, I think you've got life absolutely sorted and it's a great thrill to be here. Shall we have, while we're still recording, shall we have a little, shall we have a little taste of cake? I think we need to. Shall we? Okay. Okay. I don't have the best knife, but that's, look how soft that is. Oh, my goodness. Okay. It made me nervous when we went for our walk that you put it outside. I had visions of coming back and squirrels or deers that would have eaten it. But luckily, it's all intact, isn't it? It is. And I think the heat of the agar and the way it's melted that frosting This looks is going to be, you know, we'll just, there will just be rustic here. You're just going to grab that big piece in your hands. Am I? This one on Oops. the end? Oops. Okay. See? That's okay. We've got frosting on We've the frosting sound everywhere. kit, but who cares, hey? <laughs> Wow, here goes. So here it goes. Oh my goodness. Just has with a mouthful of carrot cake. That's mm. absolutely delicious. Yeah, that mm. is good. The cardamom, I can taste the cardamom. Mm. Maybe... Not old carrots are amazing. <laughs> mm. What's in the frosting? We've got lime zest and just a classic kind of cream cheese frosting. Mmm. Well, that's not bad. That's a good it? job it's not television. I've got it absolutely everywhere. It's, <laughs> it's all over, all over my, my fingers. The beardy bacon viking. It's all yeah. over the beard. It's good. But we will take a picture of this and put it on our socials. And maybe we could go and do 
on the slate on the banks of the Clachan. Maybe we'll make my first TikTok. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? Let's do that. Um, reluctantly, it's time to say, oh God, I'm so nervous now. Marshinlet. 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 And with a full tummy. <laughs> and uh, Try not to sink the canoe on the way back. We've got to canoe back, haven't we? It's been a really magical experience coming to meet you in your gorgeous little hut here on the Isle of Seal. And I hope perhaps one day that I can get to meet Aunt Belag and taste her duff. I really hope so too. Helen, it's been an absolute pleasure. My only sadness is that you're not staying over the night for a Kaylee and a few drums. Well, I can. It's not, it's not too late, <laughs> just saying. You've been listening to Cognac MacLeod, a.k.a. the Hebridean Baker, or as he calls himself from time to time, the Beardy Baking Viking, and finding out how a fisherman's son from Lewis has become a TikTok sensation championing the stunning Outer Hebrides he's proud to call home. This has been such a fun podcast to record. Download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple and Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. I'll be back next week, minus canoe and wellies. See you then. Mash and that.